Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. We are thinking through God's Word together. Good to see all of you this morning. Welcome back, Keith and Juan and Rob and the rest of you. Good to have you with us. It is a good day, isn't it? This is the 30th day of the month of March in the year 2023, the year of our Lord Jesus, who is sitting at the right hand of the Father, even now reigning over heaven and earth, ruling over all that happens. We have hope. We have security. We have reason to rejoice and be glad. So Juan, you say you got your coffee in hand. If you have coffee in hand, let us taste and see the goodness of the Lord. Ah, he is so, so good. So we are studying the book of Hebrews, and we're in this section in chapter 6 that has come off of the, the strongest warning there and moving toward hope. And if you remember from yesterday, he's using Abraham as uh, an example of someone who trusted God through unimaginable controversy or, or uh, resistance, uh, hardship, that's the word I'm looking for, affliction, uh, and, and just an un, unbearable test, it would seem. And yet he trusted the Lord, and the Lord blessed him just as he said he would. You know, as we, as we continue thinking through this, you, you realize this is what the Lord has always asked of his, papal, of his people. Obey me and trust me, which are almost two sides of the same coin, aren't they? Trust my word and act out that trust. Do what I tell you to do. I think of uh, Jesus uh, when he, uh, I'm sure he face-palmed a few times in the, uh, in, in the gospel era, uh, when he just looks at his disciples and says, how long have I been with you? And you still don't believe, you still, you're still doubting. And he, there's a word that he uses that is translated, oh, ye of little faith, but that's all one word in the Greek. And it's, a, it's an adjective, but it's used kind of like a noun, sub, substantively. It, it's little faithers. <laughs> and I think, I don't want Jesus to look at me and call me a little faither. Do you? <laughs> but certainly there have been too many times when that would be the appropriate way to describe me. Oh, little faither. <laughs> but we have so much reason to hope. And it's God's word, his promise, that is to hold us fast. But we got to hang on to it, right? That's the point. So chapter 6, verse 11, we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. And that's what we've been seeing all the way through. You've got to hang on to the end. You've got to hang on to Christ and his sacrifice, his atonement, his cross work. And all that he's promised, you got to hang on to that until the end. If not, you won't make it, just like the Israelites of old. Hold on till the end so that you will not be sluggish. What's the opposite of sluggish? Diligent, alert. Right? This is an active faith, an active grasping on 
to the promises of God. But imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And we talked about that yesterday, the, the faith or the trust, and then patiently waiting until God decides to fulfill his promises. And he doesn't always give us the fulfillment right away. Then he uses Abraham as a, an example here. When God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. And we went back to Genesis 22 and looked at length at uh, where this statement, this promise comes from. And the writer says, and so having patiently waited, he, that is Abraham, obtained the pro promise. And he says, for men swear by one greater than themselves. And with them, an oath given as confirmation is the end of every dispute. In the same way, God, desiring even more to show the heirs of the promise, the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hope, sorry, to take hold of the hope set before us. So two unchangeable things. What are those two unchangeable things? What do you think they are? Let me read it again while some of you are commenting. I'm sure someone's going to get it. In the same way, God desiring even more to show the heirs of the promise, so those who it would inherit the promised blessing, to show those heirs the unchangeableness of his purpose, he interposed with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. What are those two unchangeable things that give us hope? Do you know? Do you see it in the text here? Waiting, waiting. Can you give me one of them? Interesting question, isn't it? Well, one of them is right here in verse 18. It's impossible for God to lie. Notice he doesn't say it's difficult for God to lie or it's hard for God to lie. Oh, sorry. My uh, comments didn't, uh, didn't go up, so I didn't see these two. So Lewis says, oath and promise. Yeah, promise and purpose. Close, Rob, but Lewis nailed it. Oath and promise. Um, well, that would be, I would put those together as, as one of them, yes. So I just gave you the second one. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why this isn't automatically uh, progressing. So one of the unchangeable things is God can't lie. It's impossible for him to lie. If he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. It's not difficult for God to lie. It's not a, a strenuous thing for God to lie. It's impossible. He can't do it. He can only speak truth. So if he says he's going to bless you, if he says to Abraham, you are going to have more offspring than there are stars in the sky, God can't lie about that. 
It's impossible. So that's unchanging. His word, his promise, his statement is unchanging. The second thing is his oath. That's what we talked about yesterday, which is extraordinary for God to swear. Remember, we discussed this. God is basically saying, I'm putting my deity on the line. I will hold myself accountable if I don't do this thing. And if you call upon God to hold you accountable and an oath, then you're saying, God, you destroy me if I don't keep my oath. You, you judge me. And God's saying, I will judge myself if I don't do this. Which, again, it's sort of an absurdity. But he just was so, he so strongly wanted Abraham to trust him. That he swore, you have proven to me your faithfulness, Abraham, by being willing to offer your son Isaac. Now let me tell you how confident you can be in what I've said. I swear by myself, I am going to honor my word with you. So the writer of Hebrews, writing to this group who is under threat of persecution and are tempted to walk away from the faith, for the sake of preserving their life, he says, no, 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 don't do this. God gave us this example of Abraham to encourage us to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Don't you love that imagery? Your soul is is the ship you're on. It's your boat. And your soul has an anchor to hold it steadfast in place. I can't help but wonder if he's alluding back to that expression he used in chapter 2. We must be very careful that we don't drift away. If you're a ship out at sea, it's very easy, isn't it, to just drift almost imperceptibly, almost unconsciously drift away until you look back and you find that you're way off course. You're, you're far away from where you wanted to be. But if you drop an anchor, there you stay. And here he's saying, we have this hope God has promised. And that hope anchors us. We, we got to hang on to the hope. We got to hang on to the anchor. But that hope anchors us. So, What's the hope? What's the promise that God has made? Hold fast to Jesus and you will have forgiveness of your sins. You will have eternal life. Death will not be the end. Death will not be the doorway to condemnation. Death will be the doorway to eternal life. To the resurrection, to glory, to the inheritance that has been laid up in the heavens waiting for us, as Paul says to the Colossians and the Ephesians. We have that hope. We have that promise that's waiting for us. So even in the face of persecution and death, hang on, and just as God fulfilled his promise to Abraham, he will fulfill this promise to get us into the promised land, so to speak. 
Rob says, the New King James Version seems to capture the 17th birth very, uh, verse very well, thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good uh, statement of, of what's being said here. So let's just pause and ask ourselves for a moment. What is it that causes us to doubt? What are the things that might drift us away that we need to hang on to that promise of God resting confidently that he will fulfill those promises? We're not facing persecution. I'm assuming none of you are anything like what this first century group was experiencing, but we still got to hang on, right? There are things, the enemy is not, is not asleep. <laughs> he's not, he's not ignoring us. He's, he will do anything he can to distract, distract us, to discourage us, to get our eyes off of Jesus and his sufficient sacrifice and, and all of that and to, uh, to turn away, to, to drift away. Maybe it's not so much threat of persecution. Maybe it's um, worldly pursuits that, that are purely based on greed. Maybe it's um, false doctrine. I don't know, all kinds of things. And we got to hang on to the truth and hang on to Jesus all the way through. Then he comes back to this strange character that he introduced in chapter 5, Melchizedek. It's a good preacher here. He introduces Melchizedek, and then he goes off on a little bit of a rabbit trail to give them the warning and the hope, but he finds his way back to Melchizedek. <laughs> so notice what he says. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters Within the veil. You see what he did there? So you have this hope, and it's certain, and this hope enters somewhere within the veil. Well, what do you think of when you think of veil? What do you suppose this veil is that he's talking about? Well, if you're not sure, the next verse will give you more clues. This veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us. So where is a place that has a veil that you can enter into beyond the veil? And if that doesn't clue you in, he says, Jesus has become a high priest forever, according to Melchizedek. So clearly there is, a, there is temple language here, right? The veil being that curtain uh, that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, the holy place from the most holy place. There was that, that curtain, uh, that veil. All right, Michael found his way back to us. Uh, I'll be at the other castle. I don't know what that means, but I thought I, uh, thought I removed you. Um, how do I remove you entirely? I don't know, but I'm putting you in timeout again. Sorry about that. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Um, it's temple language. He's, he's that, that curtain that's separated. Remember the, the, the veil that was torn in two? 
uh, when Jesus died on the cross. So all this language here of entering in, of, of entering the holy of holy place, and he's going to come back to this, this concept later on as he develops this. But here he brings us back to Jesus being a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now what I want to do with our remaining minutes here this morning is set you up for, uh, for Monday, because tomorrow, remember, is Friday, and Fridays are Fridays with the fellas. So we're going to not look at Hebrews, but we're going to look at uh, manhood and Proverbs and such. So gentlemen, come back tomorrow for that. But as we wrap up today and, and work toward Monday, I want to remind you of who this Melchizedek is. Very, very interesting. Now, you all know Hebrews well enough. You know where he's going with Melchizedek probably. So it's not such a new name for you, but it's pretty crazy where this all develops from the Old Testament. So remember Psalm 110. We looked at this. This is the uh, the passage from the Old Testament that is quoted the most in the New Testament, most often. And it's this, uh, this section here where David says, the Lord said to my Lord, and we talked about how interesting that is, Yahweh says to David's Lord or master. So there's this Lord who is not Yahweh, who David considers his king or his sovereign one or his Lord. We now know that's Jesus, but for the first audience, this would have been very strange to think of anyone who is David's Lord, who's not Yahweh. Anyway, we won't revisit all that, uh, but it is fascinating. So what does the Lord say to my Lord, who again, we now know is Jesus? Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Yahweh will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. I think that's us. In holy array from the womb of the dawn, your youth are to you as of the dew. And then he says this, the Lord, Yahweh, has sworn and will not change his mind. So this is what Yahweh says to David's master or king. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, again, as a Jew, in addition to wondering who in the world is this Lord of David who's not Yahweh, you read this and you think, wait a minute. Whoever this one is, he's going to be a priest, but he's not going to be in the order of Levi? That doesn't work, does it? That doesn't make any sense. There's one tribe of Israel that is the priestly tribe. That's the tribe of Levi. You couldn't be a priest unless you were a Levite. And yet here, David is writing of this one who's his Lord, who's coming, who will be a priest and a priest forever. But he's not a Levite. He's a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, I know lots of people who read through the Old Testament and I ask them, do you know where Melchizedek is mentioned? And they have a hard time finding it. He is not a 
a frequent, prominent uh, character in the Old Testament. He sort of comes out of nowhere and then vanishes. So if you know the story, it's in Genesis 14. So remember, uh, Abraham is called by God in Genesis 12. He's, God gives him all those promises. And then chapter 14, yeah, Rob almost got it. He said Genesis 13. It's Genesis 14. So in Genesis 14, uh, Lot, Abram's nephew, is, uh, is kidnapped. And Abraham forms a little army, and he goes and delivers, rescues Lot, right? So we pick this up in 1414. It says, when Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he let out his trained men, born in his house, 318, and he went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and he defeated them and pursued them as far as Haba, which is north of Damascus. He brought back all the goods, brought back his relative Lot with his possessions and also the women and the people. So God gives Abraham victory over these other kings who had kidnapped kidnapped Lot. And again, we discussed this. I think this is in fulfillment of God saying, everyone who blesses you, Abraham, I'll bless, and those who curse you, I will curse. Here are these uh, folks cursed Abraham by stealing off his, uh, his nephew, and uh, God gives Abraham victory. So then, after this, after his return from the defeat at Chedorlaomer, and the kings were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shava, that is the king's valley. All right, so this King comes and meets Abraham. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God most high. Whoa, 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 whoa. What? What does that mean? The priesthood of the Old Covenant is still hundreds of years away. That's what we think of when we think of priests. We think of Levi. We think of the Old Covenant. We think of the temple, tabernacle, all that. Well, here's a guy that is called a priest of God Most High. Who is this man? There is just so much we don't know. God had priests before the Old Covenant. And he brings bread and wine to meet Abram. And he blessed Abraham. Well, his name is still Abram. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand, he gave him a tenth of all. So Abram tithes to Melchizedek. And then the king of Sodom starts speaking, and off we go, and we don't hear anything about Melchizedek until Psalm 110. So this guy just shows up out of nowhere, blesses Abraham, receives a tithe from Abraham, and poof, he's gone. That's it. And then Psalm 110, 
David says, well, the Lord says through David to the Lord, you will be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Interesting. So I see Rob is already drawing a conclusion here. Anyone want to say Christophany? All right. Tell you what, between now and Monday, you prepare your arguments for why this is a Christophany. I don't think so. I know why you think so. It makes sense in some ways. But here's what doesn't make sense. I'll just give you a little preview and you can form your arguments. Maybe you can uh, disagree with me and that's fine. Let's work through this because I don't know for sure, but I don't think so. Does it make sense? And by the way, I'm not going to answer this now. Number one, our time is up. But I'm just trying to prompt you to give this some thought. Does it make sense in Psalm 110 for David to say to Jesus or about Jesus, you're going to be a priest forever in the order of Jesus? So we'll come back to that. Food for thought. Wrestle with it and bring your uh, arguments next Monday. But we are getting to New Covenant. Yes, you're right, William. And we're going to see this story that God has been telling for thousands of years and preparing for everything that Jesus came to do since the beginning. And this guy, Melchizedek, shows, out, shows up out of nowhere, is setting a stage. And this story is so, so wonderful. It's going to be fun. So we'll come back to that next week. Fellows, we'll see you tomorrow. Friday's with the fellows. Have a great Thursday, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Take care.